All right, good morning. I'd like you to take a Bible, and I would like you to find Exodus chapter 3 and Genesis chapter 1. We're going to look at a number of different scriptures this morning. A lot of them, uh, in fact, all of them I'll put up on the screen, but you may want to read those in particular uh, from your Bible. So find it, uh, turn to that page, pull it up on your phone or your, your tablet or whatever. We are in the beginning of a new series. We actually started it last year. We cheated. New series, new year. But we started in 2019. And we're talking about the character of God, God's attributes. Basically trying to wrap our arms as best we can around who God is and what God is like. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of different attributes of God we could look at in a series like this. I've picked nine. We're going to work through these nine and Put them up on the screen so you know where we've been and where we're headed. Last week we talked about God's holiness. I think that's the place you have to start when you're thinking about God's character and his attributes. This morning we're going to talk about self-existence. I told you last week holiness might be the attribute of God that is hardest to define. And I told you that it's something you almost have to feel to really understand the weight of it. I think this morning I would say that God's self-existence might be the hardest of God's attributes for creatures to really try to get your arms all the way around. It's really, really tough, but we're going to make a run at it this morning. In weeks ahead, we'll look at sovereignty, goodness, faithfulness, power, patience, wrath, and love. So this morning we'll begin with a definition, self-existence defined. The theological term, this is not on your notes, but here's your vocabulary word for the day. The theological term that we would actually use for God's self-existence is aseity, aseity, or sometimes it's, it's pronounced God's aseity. And so when we talk about God's aseity or God's aseity, it's a Latin word that literally means from himself. From himself, A-S-E-I-T-Y. And literally what we're saying is God exists from himself. He does not have any sort of beginning or origin. He is self-existent. Here's a few thoughts to help you wrap your arms around God's self-existence. God has being and life in himself. He has those things in himself. He is not dependent on anyone or anything for his existence. He has being and life in himself. He always has. He always will. And he's not dependent on anyone or anything for his existence. Now, let me take you back to fifth grade. For most of you, we're going back. For a few of you, you're being promoted. But most of us are going back to fifth grade. Do you remember in fifth grade having to learn these verbs, your, your to-be verbs, Am, is, are, was, were, be, be, being. Okay? These verbs basically describe states of existence. And we use these verbs all of the time. All of the time. You've used them dozens of times this morning. I'll give you a few examples of how we use these. How are you? And the good church answer is, I am fine. Next. Are you going to big church? Answer, I will be there. You're here. You made it. One for one in 2020. Congratulations. One more. Were you sleeping during the sermon? 
Of course I was. Yes, he was talking about verbs and verb tenses and being verbs. It was a snooze fest. So we use these words all of the time, right? Here's what I need you to understand when you think about these to be verbs and you think about God. You and I do not have being or existence in ourselves. It's not something that we naturally possess. And what I'm saying to you is there is a time when you were not. There is a time when you did not exist. You had no existence. There was a time when there was no you, where all of those to-be verbs had absolutely no bearing on you because there was absolutely no you. We don't have life in ourselves. Physically, we receive life from, you could say, our parents at the moment of conception. Metaphysically, you could say we receive life from God, but what we're trying to wrap our minds around is the fact that left to ourselves as creatures, we don't have being or life in ourselves. God is different from us in that sense. He's not like us in that sense. He has being and life in himself. They belong to him. He has no beginning, no birthday. I can remember being a child laying on my bed at night trying to wrap my mind around that idea that God had no birthday. And as a child and as a grown-up with degrees from seminaries, you, it's hard to get your arms around that idea. No beginning, no birthday. He will have no end. We will not ever have a funeral for God. No beginning, no end. He has being and he has life in himself. He is not dependent on anyone or anything for his existence. One way you can maybe think about this is to think about superhero movies. We love superhero movies. They come out all the time. We pay millions and millions, billions of dollars to see them. When they're out of the theater, we continue to give Disney and Netflix and all these people our money because we want to watch these movies. We love superhero movies. And one of the things we love about superhero movies, whichever variety or, or DC or Marvel or Star Wars or whatever it is you like, one of the things we like in superhero movies is an origin story, right? We like origin stories. So we watch these movies and we say, okay, you're telling me there's a guy named Superman. Where did he come from? Well, I need to know where he came from. There's a guy named Iron Man and he, he's got a really cool suit. Well, where did that come from? I want to know the origin story for this hero. What we're saying this morning is, I have an origin story. You have an origin story. God has no origin story. He has always existed. He has being and he has life in himself. He didn't receive those things from anyone else. He's not dependent on anyone. Our brains are a little bit troubled by that when you try to wrestle with it. Rightly so. We're creatures. We are dependent. We receive life and existence from someone else, from outside of ourselves, and it's hard for us to fathom a being who is self-existent. Here's another way to think about it. God is a necessary being. I'm going to get philosophical on you. You ready? He cannot not be. Your brain hurt yet? Mine does hurt all week long. I'm ready to be done with this sermon and move on to something easy like God's goodness. 
He's a necessary being. He cannot not be. It's impossible. So let me just put some words up on the screen. Let's call these levels of existence, okay? Levels of, you could say, being. On the very lowest level, we would talk about inanimate matter, rocks, dirt. It's real. I remember being about six and playing with the kids across the street and Josh Small picked up a rock and he pretended it was a grenade and he launched that grenade and it hit me right between the eyes. Rocks are real. I'm telling you, they're real. They're very real. But they just sort of are. They don't do much of anything unless you launch them into the air at your neighbor. They just sort of lie there. Above that, we would talk about plant life. It's a living thing. And in the desert, it's hard to see a lot of plant life, but it's there if you look for it. There are plants that grow. And if you don't take care of them or if it gets too hot and it doesn't rain, they might die. But they have a sort of a higher level of existence than a rock that simply sits there. They're, they're living in a sense. And above that, we would talk about animals. And you could even have a gradation among animals down from a, an amoeba or something small, tiny, plankton in the ocean up to, you know, a giraffe or an elephant or a, whatever you want to say. But animal life, those are living things. But then we would move a step higher and we would talk about human, here's our word again. You remember your two B verbs? Human beings. We have existence. We have being. We had life. And above human beings, we would talk about spiritual beings. We can't see those beings, but virtually every culture on the face of the planet has acknowledged from, from all eternity past, from all the beginning of creation, that there are spiritual beings. There are, are creatures out there. They exist. They're real. We don't see them, but they have life, and they are spiritual beings. And at the top of all that, we would talk about the supreme Here's our word again, being, the supreme being. When I say to you that God is a necessary being, that he cannot not be, here's what I'm trying to say to you, and this is what I want you to try to wrap your minds around. All the stuff on the bottom of that list, everything below the supreme being, okay, rocks, plants, animals, people, all these things, we, we know that they're real. They all have an origin story. They all have a beginning, and they can have an end. They're finite. They can be real, but then they can sort of go away. They don't have life in themselves. They don't have being in themselves. They're all dependent. They all have as I said earlier, an origin story. If any of those things on that list are real, and I can vouch for rocks that they are real, and rocks cannot make themselves, rocks cannot simply spring out of nothing with no cause, then you've got to back up and say, well, where did all of these things come from? All of these dependent things come from? All of these rocks and plants and animals and, and where did they come from? None of these things has the power of existence in itself. They all had a beginning. Where did they come from? And the answer is, according to the scriptures, they came from God, from the supreme being, from the one who had no beginning, who has no origin. This is where the Bible begins. And I want to direct your attention here this morning. 
the Bible begins with a declaration of God's self-existence. That's how this book starts. Simply declaring that there is a God and that he exists. Genesis 1.1, we'll put it on the screen. You can read it out of your scriptures. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the beginning of the Christian worldview right here. You can't skip it. You may think it's elementary. You may think, oh, that's for the, the kids memorizing Bible verses on Wednesday nights. That's child's play stuff, but you cannot miss this. There's no sophisticated philosophical argument here. There's simply a declaration of fact. The author of Genesis is not trying to prove anything to you. He's just simply saying to you, there was a beginning to everything we know. And before that beginning stood the creator, God. And in the beginning, God, the self-existent God, created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, there were only two things. God and nothing. Do you know what nothing is? One of my favorite authors used to say, he's passed away now, but he used to say, nothing is what sleeping rocks dream about. If you think nothing and you think blackness, you're already off point. That's something. It's nothing. But in the beginning, from eternity past, there was a God, a self-existent God, a God who had being and life in himself. He didn't need to get those things from somebody else. And in the beginning, he spoke and he created the heavens and the earth. You may not like that story. You may be here in church the first Sunday of 2020 and you may look at Genesis 1-1 and you may say, this is a dumb story. I don't like how this story begins. That's fine. But every worldview has to answer this question about origins and beginnings. Every worldview, nobody gets a pass. You've got to answer this question. All of this stuff on the list, the rocks and the plants and the animals and the people, they're all there. We know that they're real. Where did they come from? What's the origin story? And you've got to give an answer. And there are some who would just say to you, you know, the rocks have just always been there. They're eternal. Matter is eternal. They've just always been there. And millions and billions of years ago, all of this matter was together in some sort of singularity, perhaps. And then nothing really happened, but everything happened, and this inanimate ball of rock just boom and exploded, and there was life. That's an origin story. That's an option for you, that eternal rocks blew themselves up, and created life. Some people sort of wrestle with that, and so they back it up, and here's a popular origin story today, is life as we know it on this earth, in this universe, came from some sort of alien intelligence. There's got to be some designer. It's all too intricate and perfect just to sort of happen from an explosion. So we came from some sort of alien existence. They created us. They're out there watching us. We don't know that they're there. And you see this in all sorts of sci-fi movies today. It's sort of passed off as a theory. It really answers nothing. Nothing. It just takes the question and it moves it back beyond what we can know or experience. It doesn't answer the question, well, where did those guys come from or gals come from? Or creatures come from. You can go with the rocks that have always been there and they just 
boomed themselves into existence, or you can go with the little green guys from outer space came and made us, or you can go with Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, there was a God, self-existent, not dependent on anyone for anything, and he created everything that exists. That's how God reveals himself in the Bible. It's how he reveals himself on page one. It's how he reveals himself in Exodus 3. The God of the Bible revealed himself as, this is Exodus 3, I am. I am. The self-existent one. I'd like you to look at Exodus 3. We're just going to read 15 verses. There's a lot of things I'd love to talk about when you read these verses. We're just going to try to drill them, drill down on this idea that God is the I am. Exodus 3, verse 1. says, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness. He came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Just file that away. The bush is burning, but it is not consumed. Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am has sent me to you. What a remarkable story. Moses keeping the sheep sees a bush and it's on fire and it is not consumed. How is it possible for a bush, think about a mesquite bush, to be on fire and not to burn up? It's only possible for the God who is self-existent, who does not need kindling or kerosene to make fire. 
He is dependent on no one. He is dependent on nothing. This bush burning but not being consumed is a picture to Moses and to us that God is dependent on no one. He needs nothing. He exists. He has the the power of being and the power of life in himself. And Moses has this interaction with the Lord and he says, if I go to these people, if I do what you're telling me to do, and they want to know who sent me, what am I supposed to tell these people? And I don't know what Moses was expecting. He spent time in Egypt. He was raised in Egypt. He was familiar with Ra, the sun god. He was familiar with all sorts of deities that were associated with physical things. God of the moon, God of death, God of life, God of the Nile, God of frogs, God of cattle, God of this and that. Maybe he just sort of was fishing for what is the thing that you're associated with and connected to so I can tell them who's sending me back. God simply speaks to Moses and he says, this is what you tell him. I am that I am. You can't connect me to any physical thing. I'm not dependent on any physical thing. I simply am who I am. And so you go back, Moses, and you tell them that the I am has sent you to them. That truth changed Moses. And in their better moments, it changed the Hebrew people. And that truth ought to change us today. And we're going to end with this question. How should we live in light of God's self-existence? How should it change us? Let me give you a few suggestions. Number one, respect God's revelation of truth. If this is who God is, the self-existent creator of all things, the one who had no cause, who is dependent on no one or nothing, but who created everything that exists, I think we all understand that everything that exists belongs to him. He's the owner of all of it. If he owns all of it, he gets to say what is in what is good, and what is right. And you and I as creatures, as part of this thing that he has made, the heavens and the earth and all that's in it, we the creature have no right to look back at the self-existent creator and say, we don't like your definitions of reality. We'll change them. Thank you very much. We don't have that right. That's defiance. That's a rejection of who God is as the self-existent creator. So when the Lord speaks about life or death, good and evil, right and wrong, male and female, moms, dads, husbands, wives, marriage, all of it, children, when he speaks about all of these things, the appropriate response of the creature is to say, I'm dependent on you. You're dependent on no one, and you created all of this, and you own all this. You get to tell me how it works. I'm not going to impose my views of all of these issues on you. Rather, I'm going to respect what you have revealed to me as the creature. So that's number one. Number two, recognize our dependence. We just need to recognize that we are dependent on God. We're dependent on him for existence, Existence, period, but also God is the one who sustains us day to day. Look at Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1. 
Paul says in Colossians 1, he is before all things. Here's all the things. Remember our list, rocks, plants, animals, people. He's before all of those things. And in him, all things hold together. And Hebrew says the same thing. Both of these passages about Jesus specifically, he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of God's nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Not only did he create it all, but he continues to sustain it all, which means we're dependent on him. How many of you remember the Cosby show? I don't know if you're supposed to talk about the Cosby show or not, but I'm going to, I'm going to talk about one little episode from the Cosby show. There's an episode, Huxtables are talking in the kitchen, and it's Uh, Mom and dad, Huxtable, Cliff and his wife, and they're talking to Vanessa over on the top right. And Vanessa has gotten in trouble at school. She got in a fight. She got in a fight with a couple of girls. And she comes home and she tells her mom and her dad, I got in a fight at school. And all Cliff wants to know initially is, did you win the fight? And she says, well, there was a couple of girls. And he says, oh, you fought two girls. Oh, did you win? Did you take them out? And she starts trying to explain what happened. And she basically says, look, there was these girls at school in the athletic team, and they were making fun of me. They were calling me a rich girl, and I didn't like it. And he, they sort of look at her like, you didn't like that they called you a rich girl? She says, no, I, I, they were teasing me. They were calling me a brat, a spoiled this, a spoiled that. And at one point, Vanessa says this to her dad. She says, you know, none of this would have happened if we weren't so rich. And Cliff looks at his daughter and says this, quote, let me get something straight. Your mother and I are rich. You have nothing. That's what we're saying here when we talk about our dependence on God. God is rich. He has everything. He needs nothing. He has the power of life and existence in himself. He is dependent on absolutely no one or no thing for anything. You and I, on the other hand, have nothing. We are entirely and completely dependent on God for our existence and for our breath today and tomorrow and the next day. We are dependent on God. When you acknowledge that and you think about that, it ought to make you humble. And it ought to make you thankful. And it ought to stop you from looking at all the other people in your life and comparing yourself to them and what they have and you have and they have and you don't have. It should just put all that to rest and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm completely dependent on God. And the things that I have are not because of anything that I've done. It's because God has been gracious to me. I'm completely dependent on him. Related to that, number three, we've got to realize that God doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. It's important for us to get this straight. God doesn't need us. Look at Job 41.11. God speaking to Job. Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Job. What have you given to me that wasn't already mine? Job, I don't need you. I don't need you to make offerings to me. It's all mine to begin with, Job. Psalm 50, God says, If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. I don't need you. 
God says, to do anything for me. I'm not a needy God. I don't need a daily offering. I don't need those things for my existence. Acts 17, Paul's preaching in Athens, and he says, the God who made the world and everything in it, he's the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands. He's not served by human hands as though he needed anything. He needs nothing. He himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He has it all. We have nothing. He doesn't need us. Everything that we have, he has given to us. Here's one way you could think about it. How many of you have been to Carlsbad Caverns? Right down the road. My family's been a couple of times. I never grew growing up as a child. The first time I went... I was an adult, and you go, and you go down the elevator, or you walk down the back way, or whatever, and you go into these amazing caves down in the ground, and people have explored, and they've put up lights, and you go through on a nice, smooth path with a rail, and you don't have to spelunk or get on your belly or crawl. It's amazing, and people love to go, and they love to look at these caves, these caverns, and just say, wow, this is great. What if today we just turn the lights out? for good at Carlsbad Caverns. And we didn't go anymore. Close the park. Close the visitor center. Close the elevator. Boulder up the entrance where you can hike down. Just close the whole thing down. Shut it down. What would happen to those caves? Nothing. We don't have to be there and see them for them to exist. If you go and you see it and you wow and you ooh and you awe, it's great. But when you're not there looking at it, it's still there. If everyone on the earth got together and said, we're done with God, we're turning our back on God, we're moving on, and we turned in defiance away from the Lord, do you know what would happen to God? Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. God doesn't need us. If you need a refresher course, I'll let you look at 1 Samuel 4 to 6. 1 Samuel 4 to 6 talks about the ark of God being captured and it's taken into Philistine territory and there's no priest there to defend it. There's no army there to take care of it. Guess what? God took care of himself just fine. He handled the situation. He didn't need the people. You say, but wouldn't God be lonely without us? No, no. Actually, it wouldn't. Father, Son, and Spirit would live in perfect community together, and there would be no loneliness. You say, well, when we gather together and we sing, doesn't it sort of, I don't know, does it pump God up? Does it give him some power? No, not at all. This is not Elf with Santa at the end of the movie trying to get his sleigh off the ground and saying, I just need a few more people to sing. I need a little more Christmas spirit. I need those people at Emmanuel. Aren't you listening to Jake? Sing a little bit louder. Come on. I need... That's not how it works. That's pagan thought. That's silly superstition. He doesn't need us. But out of his love and out of his grace and his mercy, he has chosen to bring people into his family. It's a remarkable thought, and it leads us to number four. Remember that physical and spiritual life come from God. Paul said it to the men of Athens. He said he gives life and breath to everything. He's the source. He has life and being and existence in himself. Everyone else is dependent. You get your life and your existence and your being 
from him. John describes it this way. We looked at John 1 a few months ago in our series through the book of John. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. All the things on that list made by God, made through God the Son. Without him, there's not anything made that was made. In him was life. He has it. He has life. And it's his to give and to dispense as he sees fit. And if you're a follower of Jesus, it's because God has given you life, not just physical life, but spiritual life. Peter explains it like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He gives physical life, and out of his grace and his mercy, he gives spiritual life. Life, Which brings us to the last thought, and it's this. We should rejoice that God will always be God. It should move us to worship. It's good news. This is how the prophet Malachi put it. I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. The reason you're not just consumed... And cease to be, God says, is because I don't change. I have always been, I am now, and I will always be. Therefore, you are not consumed. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's good news. That's gospel news. One of my favorite TV personalities is a guy named Ernie Johnson. He's a host of a, an NBA talk show. I like watching the NBA. I like watching Ernie Johnson. He's got a remarkable story personally, and his family life is really, really a, an interesting, neat situation. He's a believer. And on the last day of 2019, on Twitter, he tweeted out, I don't have the video, but I have a screenshot of the video. He screen, uh, uh, tweeted out this, uh, this time-lapse video of the sunrise. And it started where it was down below the horizon and then it came up and it was about a minute long video sped up through time lapse. And the caption that he put with the video he tweeted was this. This just happened for the 365th time this year. God was 365 out of 365 in 2019. It's pretty good. I don't know about you, but I'm thinking in 2020, odds are pretty good that it keeps coming up every day. Might be a cloud in the way to hide it, or you know, might be dirt blowing in West Texas to hide it, but it's going to come up every day. And if you can count on something like the sun coming up each day and you know that it's going to happen, how much more, the scripture is saying, how much more do you have confidence? And knowing that the God who exists always has been, is now, and will always be. When you wake up tomorrow, Jesus will be the same Jesus he is today. He's not going to change. He's not dependent on you or me or this church or that church or this nation or that nation. He is who he is. And he will always be who he is. That gives us hope and that gives us reason to rejoice. I'm going to ask you to bow. We're going to pray, and then we're going to rejoice. We're going to worship together.